Hello and welcome to What Have I Done with me, Caroline Jones. In each episode, I'll be joined by a guest to discover how the spark of an idea set them on their fundraising journey. They'll explain why they chose their particular charity and share the highs and lows that invariably come with the intensity of fundraising. At the centre of each conversation is an emotional story of how inner grit and determination can lead to a lasting legacy for the fundraiser and for the charity. Ten-year anniversaries of the loss of a loved one can be a particularly poignant moment, full of reflection and what-ifs. So when Stuart Bates and partner Charlotte Nichols set out to mark the 10th anniversary of Stuart's brother Spencer, Spenny, who passed away from motor neurone disease while still in his 40s, the seed of an idea was set to fundraise for MND Association. Q Spenny Olympics completing 102 Olympic events during the 17 days of the Tokyo Olympics. Take that in for a moment. Chatting to Stuart and Charlotte, it was clear that their determination to honour the memory of Spenny was always front and centre. This was a marathon of a physical challenge, but also pulled on their mental resilience, whilst the eyes of the world's media were on them. I was exhausted just listening to their daily regime. So sit back and have a listen. You may find yourself reaching for your own trainer's nose clip or a pole vault. All the details of their campaign and a link to the MND Association can be found in the show notes. My thanks to Stuart and Charlotte for sharing their story and to you for listening. So Spenny Olympics, I am obsessed with what you have done. I, I, I can't. In fact, I went out for a run this morning, not because um, I needed to. I just thought I need to get into this mindset of what <laughs> it felt like for you two for 17 whole days. And I just thought, um, perhaps, Stuart, if we could start with you, Spenny Olympics, just give me a very brief overview of your challenge. And then we'll talk a lot more, if you don't mind, about the cause and, and, and who you were doing it for. Cool. So we set out to complete every single individual Olympic event during the 17 days of the Tokyo Games. So we sort of miscalculated wildly, but it ended up as 102 different events in 17 days from the 100 metres to the marathon uh, and every other sport and event in between. Good grief. I actually, um, I'm really interested in Instagram. I went onto your Instagram page and um, on there, and I'm going to put, by the way, the link on my um, on my podcast page, there is a poster that um I'm, I printed off and it's got your schedule on there for 17 <laughs> days, your schedule, your, your, the schedule that you, the challenge that you set yourselves, uh, you and Charlotte. And um, I came across a phrase, which I'm just going to repeat back to you because I think it probably will resonate with you both. Um, 102 events in 17 days, two idiots. <laughs> discuss Charlotte over to you well, at the beginning of this of this of this idea that I think Stuart came up with am I right what were you thinking at that point yeah so Stuart FaceTime me I was away at uni and he FaceTime me it was I think about midnight and he was like I've got this idea and I was like okay go on then we've been thinking for ages we wanted to do something to mark the 10-year anniversary of Spenny passing away we've been thinking of 
sort of different ideas and we hadn't found anything that we were like yeah that's the one and he faced on me said it I was like oh my god are you mental <laughs> are you mental um we googled the list of events we went through them all we laughed so much at how many different things there were and made a quick spreadsheet of sort of trying to add them up and vaguely see how we could do it I sort of came up with the idea of doing it within the 17 days of the Olympics and timing it then and that was that I went off to sleep <laughs> happy ready for my next day of uni and then the next day he mentioned it again and I was like yeah, she's serious about this <laughs> and yeah it just sort of went from there we had a little think about it over Christmas and then sort of got ready to start everything up on the 1st of January and start training and things and yeah from the very start we had this phrase of 102 events 17 days two idiots I think it really captures the fact that we're not professional sports people we're not elite athletes of any kind we are just two idiots who thought it would be a bit of a laugh and go yeah, very often. I mean, I'm really interested in that seed of that idea. And you say, Stuart, that it, it began with you calling Charlotte. But do you take me to the moment where you actually had the that creative thought? And, yes. and how long was it before you spoke to Charlotte about it? So this is the, the seed of it has been in my head for ages. And it's one of those things that you don't say out loud because it sounds ridiculous and you think people will laugh at you. Um, but I knew at the back of my head that Charlotte would get it. She's of a, we're of a very similar mindset of the more ridiculous, the more difficult, the more we want to do it. And the second that I said it, it was like a massive release for me. And Charlotte was like, that's brilliant. I want to do that. Um, so, yeah, there was not a, a moment. It's been in my head for quite a few years, probably going back to my brother Spenny and I, we absolutely adore sport. And we would sit together and watch everything. And in particular, whenever the Olympics or the Winter Olympics came around, there's this breadth of, of sport that you don't normally watch, all these weird and wonderful events. And we would become instant experts in all of them. Um, as soon as we've watched it for five minutes, we are critiquing, um, we're saying how rubbish everybody, oh, we could have done that better. And the thought of Charlotte and I doing that, um, it, yeah, it just tickled me. And I know it would have tickled Spenny for sure. Yeah, I, I just love that. And I, I think this, this this moment that you had in your head and that you just, the, it was, I think probably sounds like you're saying the articulation of it to Charlotte, that moment, I've said it now. Yeah. And so it's out there, this this drive this is out there and Charlotte absolutely getting it really probably was the moment you both came together and said, yeah, look, actually we can do this, as crazy as it sounds. And with that drive, to honour Spencer and Spenny's um, legacy. I'd like to just touch on on your brother and, and um, the loss of your brother. That that was 10 years ago last year. Was it was it important to recognise his his memory 10 years on? And and you know for lots of people I think I think they'd like to hear a little bit about that. Yeah absolutely so um it was 10 years ago on the 31st of August um, that, that he passed away. And as, as Charlotte had mentioned, we, we, we've been wanting to do something to mark it, like a, a line in the sand to, to say, you know, this, is, this period of time has passed. Um, and with uh, the condition that he had, motor neurone disease, there's been a lot of progress in how they understand the disease, but there are still no treatments or cures. It's still... Unfortunately, it has a 100% fatality rate 
um, and most people die within two years. So there was an opportunity, one to mark the passing of of, of Spenny, um, and two to highlight that although progress has been made, we need to do more. Um, they know where to go looking for cures now, and this is the sadness. Um, and it comes down to funding. They're not a well-funded charity, um, so we just wanted to raise money in in in, in with that aim to to help towards finding uh, a cure or research or treatments. Uh, but also, thirdly, to celebrate Spenny, to get people talking about him again. He was um, this most incredible character. Um, he was a, a, the, the normal thing. He's a brilliant friend, brilliant brother, brilliant person. But where I was born and where Spenny spent his whole life in Weymouth, he was a bit of a local legend. So when he passed away, there were about 800 people at the church. It, it was literally lining the streets outside. It was like a celebrity funeral. Um, he just was one of those, one of those guys that once you met him, you never forgot him. And, um, it was just lovely to have people talking about him again and laughing and, and thinking how he'd have reacted to, to what we were doing. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was really special. And how would he have reacted to what you were doing? You know, you said you were sitting there watching the Olympics, you two together, saying, I could do that. Oh, yeah, I've got, you know, 10 minutes in. I know how this sport works. What would he have said, you know, if he'd seen you achieving what you achieved? Uh, um, the perfect mixture of absolute pride in us for doing what we did. Um, and he would have been crying his eyes out laughing at how ridiculous we looked how difficult it actually is why olympians are olympians for a reason and the rest of us sit on our sofas and criticize them uh yeah he would absolutely have adored it yeah i love that because did and did that um did that keep you on did that spur you on we're gonna we'll, we'll come on to, in a moment to the actual the actual uh, campaign itself and the, what you had to achieve but did that spur you on get you through those really difficult moments oh a hundred percent for for both of us so so charlotte never knew spenny um but she knows what he meant to me um and she completely gets it um yeah and Yet for, for both of us, it was it was uh, the thought of how Spenny would be reacting. I kept falling off of things. I fell off of horses and bikes and and we kept hurting ourselves all the way through. And we just every time it happened, we think Spenny would have loved that. He'd have thought that was funny. Um, and when we finished on the very last day in Weymouth with just the marathon to do, uh, to run around where he spent his whole life. Um, his two young boys were there, uh, who are now uh, 18 and 15, who were eight and five at the time, uh, running past all the places where Spain and, Spain and I used to live, where we shared flats when we were younger. Um, it just felt like he was with us. And, and mm. yeah, it was brilliant. Mm, that's really that's really wonderful and very moving very touching to hear you talk about him like that and I'm sure he did drive you through those 17 days very much Charlotte for you okay you've had this idea pitched to you you've gone yeah let's do that I'm one of those idiots we can do this together did it really did it how quickly did it sink in what you were taking on here be honest with me (laughs) I think 
when we first sort of had the idea, we were like, yeah, okay, that's good. That's fine. And then we sort of put it out on social media. It was the Christmas holidays. I was home from uni and we put it out on the 1st of January. I went back to uni a week later. I was in class with my friends and they were like, are you really doing this? Surely you're not doing this. No, you're not doing this. And then I was like, a lot of people said that to me. And I was like, oh, maybe this is actually a bit mental. <laughs> so yeah, I think, I think until the day we started, maybe it didn't even sink in how ridiculous it was. And I don't think we ever realised quite how much publicity and things we'd get from it and how hard it was going to be. And yeah, it didn't sink in at all until I think we were sort of in the middle of it. So you going back to the the start point of the of the idea. So you had the idea, you put it out there on, on social platforms, so on Facebook, Instagram, I think you set up your just giving page and your Facebook page. So this was prior to actually the 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 July start point. You're already talking about it. You're starting to do your training. Was the press we with the media did the media pick up on the story? quite early on or was it at the start point of actually the 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 campaign itself the challenge itself no so we sort of sent some emails around after we just sort of got started and said this is what we're doing and I think the first sort of article or anything we had really done on it was sort of April time maybe um and that was just I think local press we had a few sort of local newspapers and things a few people on Twitter that were sort of saying okay this is cool and uh we were sort of gaining some followers on social media and things it wasn't until about the week before I'd say that things really started to go mental and I think people being in the sort of Olympic spirit anyway that sort of being all in the news and being talked about people just sort of latched onto the idea we were on um BBC breakfast I think was the first big thing we did and then that from then it was just absolutely mental from we got home from being BBC breakfast we sat on the sofa and we answered phone call after phone call literally hang up on one and answer the next one of people from all over the world that wanted to talk to us and it just went on all day we were on the radio probably 10 times that day people just say can we speak to you now and then we were on the radio in Canada which was our first sort of international thing it was in CBC Toronto and then immediately after we'd been on that we had the Canadian news channel get in touch and say we'd like to interview for telly and we were like what is going on here and it and just spiralled from there. It was absolutely mental. It is that snowball effect, isn't it? And and it's obviously, uh, it is overwhelming. I've, I've experienced something like that myself. And you can't pinpoint it, but there is always a moment where the coverage just turns from being local news story, perhaps, to, inter, to you know, to national, to international. Did you have a sense of oh my goodness, this is this is huge. We're going to need to manage this, but also train for my synchronised swimming, my <laughs> horse riding, my marathon, my triathlon. You, there is only the two of you. I'm, yeah. Am I right? There isn't some team in the background doing all your social. So talk me through how all this worked. Yeah, because people genuinely thought that. They would ring us and say, oh, is it possible that, um, you put this idea to Stuart and Charlotte and we're like, you're speaking to Stuart. And if you'd run the other number at Charlotte, it was hilarious. Um, yeah, it just went crazy so quickly because we were struggling uh, to get any traction at all. So we were on the biggest morning show in America before we got into our local Wooden and Dry Sanford Gazette local newsletter. They just wouldn't put anything in. <laughs>
Um, yeah. I'm going, I, do, I need to just take that in a moment. So you are on the, the biggest Canadian network. Uh, no, the big, in America. In Amer- sorry, in America. Yeah, on CBS. You're uh, on CBS in America. Before it went in the Wooten and Dry Sanford <laughs> Community and, Newsletter. And why do you think that CBS got hold, or how did they get hold of your story? So that was actually a massive coincidence. We had some contact from TBS, which is the Tokyo-based Japanese news station, and they came down, did some filming with us in the week before, filming some of our training, and we just had a brilliant day with them. And they went back to their offices, which is shared with CBS, and had an email the next day from CBS saying, we've spoken to our colleagues at TBS, we'd love to interview for the American version, which was insane. Yeah. It was had a team of sort of four people come down from CBS and they followed us around for the day. It was it went out with Gail King, I think that yeah. one was, which was just unbelievable. Um, it was so professionally done. They picked a brilliant day to come and film. They were there when Stuart fell off the horse <laughs> doing windsurfing and I have a horrible fish phobia and I burst into tears in the middle of a lake and had a massive panic attack and was like, get me out of here. They were there for all of the drama. It was absolutely amazing. And yeah, I think that was just a massive stroke of luck that they mm. just happened to sit next to the people from DBS. Yeah, but also fantastic that you were willing to be filmed, that you were willing to just go, yeah, do you know what? Yeah, follow us round. See, there's, there's no editing. You just take us as you find us. This, this is, we haven't got time to stop and think about this. This is happening right now. So, you know, come aboard. You embraced it. And I'm always, you know, saying to, if I put my sort of charity hat on for a moment, I think what makes for great campaigns is that um, immediate contact, you know, the fact that you're willing to take those risks and just do something so different that has really caught the imagination of the public. Um I want to just talk, can I, about the fundraising amount that you raised, because I think it's quite extraordinary, £155,000 and probably rising. Um, your target at the beginning, where on, on your Just Giving page, you, you, know, you write your piece. What was your original target for this? Uh, original target was a very, very optimistic £10,000. Ooh. Um, ambitious we, yeah we thought if we if we we did think it was quite a good idea we thought we had you know the seed of a really really good idea and we thought with a really fair wind and and maybe some good coverage we might be able to get to ten thousand. Uh, yeah and goodness me I, I i got my calculator out yesterday and i just did a little bit of tapping in and your average donation was around about £24, which is absolutely incredible. The average, I think an average donation online is somewhere between £8 and £10. So it's phenomenal to think people that probably you never met, majority of people you never met, I'm assuming, um, tapped into your <clears throat> tapped into your idea. Do you think it was the fact that they were you know, that they were getting something back from you every time they were, every day that they were joining in on social and seeing your, seeing you take part in all these amazing um, sporting achievements. Yeah. Yeah. I think there was, it, we were just lucky to get that exposure because those donations came from all over the world. We had so many really generous donations from places like America and Canada and so many euros and just, it was amazing to see sort of all the different currencies coming in. And I think, yeah, I, it was, really good that we had the sort of social media setup that we did because a lot of times particularly when we were on sort of radio things and 
it was sort of less visual. It meant people could then go to our Instagram and see videos of everything we've been doing. And I think it just really sort of captured people and the stories that we were sort of telling along with the pictures and the videos when people sort of felt involved. And at the same time, there were people that had been, were like, I've been there from the start. I was watching you yeah. since January, February. And now everyone else sees you as well. I was an original fan. Like, it was really funny and it was lovely. And yeah, people were so generous with their money. And I think partly that was because of what we were doing and the scale of it and the size of it. But it was also due to the fact that it's such an important cause. And so many people have been affected by motor neuron disease and so many of the donations coming through said, I lost my brother, I lost my mum, I lost my dad. And I love that you're doing this for them and for the charity. And it just really showed how many people have been affected by motor neuron disease and how many people that are out there that are passionate about fundraising for it, finding a cure and wanted to sort of get involved and donate and help out where they could. I, I really pick up on that, actually. And I noticed that you're very active, both of you, on social media. And I want, want to ask, are both of you, do both of you see the value in social media and how that helped re- your campaign reach? Or does, did one of you take on that, you know, I'll be the social media manager of, of the two of you. How did it work? Did you just both go, we're going to need to really get going on social to get it out there? Yeah, I think we both understood the importance of it the actual usage of it charlotte's definitely more au fait uh, than i certainly was at, at the beginning but we both knew it would be critical and to build this community this fundraising community where we were at the center of it doing the challenge but so many people felt ownership of what we were doing and part of what we were doing um so yeah i think it, it was really, really important for that to grow, for that to build, and that it's just that word of mouth and that strength. And it also gives you, if you've got uh, a TV company or uh, a radio station thinking we could do a little story about these, they take a look at the social media to see the size of the following, think, okay, something big is going on here. So I think, it, it, yeah, we we understood it early, grew it as strongly as we could, and then it took on a life of its own. I think yeah I think it's really important to sort of emphasize how how hard it was to keep up with it during the challenge itself as well because there were days where we were out of the house from sort of six in the morning till gone midnight some days trying to complete all the different events and then we'd get home and on the days particularly where we'd been really really busy it was then worse because we had more posts to do about what we've been doing so one day we were out in London we left here at six we got home about one in the morning and we then we'd done 16 events that day so we then had to put posts on about all 16 of them. And we were desperately searching through the videos and the photos that we had from the day that my dad had stood and taken of us, picking out the good ones and then sort of writing the captions to go along with them because we knew there were people sat there waiting to see these things. So many people had said, it's a highlight of my day. I love to see what you're up to. And we just knew that if we fell behind on one day and tried to leave it for the next day, it just wouldn't get done because we were absolutely mentally busy. So sat here, sort of, we've been, yeah, 16 different sports in one day and it was half one, two in the morning, and I was sat on the sofa desperately trying to do the social media posts, and I just wanted to sleep. It was so hard, but it paid off. Like, it was so worth it, and we wouldn't have got anywhere near the following, the money raised, the attention that we did without that, I don't think. I I think it's so interesting to hear that that physical uh, challenge that you'd set yourself, in some ways the mental challenge, the challenge you just said there, Charlotte, of sitting on your sofa 
having knowing the value that uh, that, that, that social reach would get, would give you and the money that would potentially follow knowing that you had to do that as well it was an incredible condensed pressure that you were suddenly under not only were just you know you're recovering your body is recovering every day from all of these amazing physical challenges you set must have been absolutely exhausting how did you how did you come together as a duo did you do you know were there difficult moments that you can remember that <laughs> yes yeah, so difficult but there were just so many but you you put into the equation everything that you've just said we were massively physically fatigued uh, to a level that neither of us had ever experienced before uh, sleep deprived feeling the pressure of keeping on top of the social media having the thoughts of letting people down if we don't succeed, um, wanting to do well for my brother. Uh, there are so many things at play. Um, and, yeah, you, you, we saw the best of each other, for sure, during, during it. And to pull e- we pulled each other through on so many occasions. But there are times as well that, you know, we would just find ourselves bickering and we had absolutely no idea what we were bickering about um that time when like, it was 2am we got back from london i was doing social media posts she was like why don't you do it like that and i was like go to bed go to bed get out of here i will finish them just go like I mean, it was that point where it's just like we need to just take yeah. a minute here and yeah. and yeah it was there, like we said there's so much pressure but i wouldn't have wanted to do it with anyone else when we finished together Cross the finish line, holding hands of the marathon, and, and a massive hug at the end. It just made every single thing worth it. Every argument was forgotten. And <laughs> looking back on it now, we don't think about any of the negatives, any of no. the bickering, or any of the negative comments on social media or anything like that. It's all about what an amazing time we had and yeah. how much we managed to raise. And it's really, really positive. Gosh, my goodness me. Talking about the support system then around you, um, the charity Motor Neurone Disease Association, what was your involvement with them? Did you approach them at the at the very beginning of your seed of an idea or did you just ring them when you go, oh, I've, we've just been on them, um, you know, the, Ameri- the biggest American television network, thought you might need to know. How did you, when did you communicate with them and what did, how did that relationship grow? Sure. So uh, we communicated it to them prior uh, to us starting in January. Um, And we told them what our plan was. um, And we thought we would get, you know, an instant, oh my goodness, that's amazing. I think they, along with most people, thought we were mad, thought it was crazy. Uh, So we didn't hear back from a little while, um, um, by which time we'd attracted probably about 30 current and former Olympians that were acting as ambassadors for us. Um, so we got in touch again and, and, and said, look, you know, this is where we're at. And they were like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, and then from that point on, absolutely, yeah, brilliant. Um, they were a huge support. Let's just go back to that sentence. <clears throat> 30 plus, I think, ambassadors of the sports that you were covering yeah. How did this happen? How did you how did you pick up the phone to these people and go, hi, um, you know, gold medalist in in diving? Could you uh, can we link up? How does this happen? So we ended we ended up with over sixty um, sixty ambassadors, ambassadors from uh, the current GB squad that went to Tokyo uh, through to Sally Gunnell, Tessa Sanderson, uh, just yeah, Olympians of 
it's just the highest order. And we just found, we just asked. <laughs> it is as simple as that. People, I think people are scared um, of people that they perceive with celebrity or uh, um, of sporting prowess. And most people are happy to help. And in particular, I think the athletic community and some of the uh, non-professional sports, shall we say, um, they understand the importance of volunteering and and being community-based and community-driven. Uh, so we did struggle with the Olympic sports that are more professional, such as golf or football. We did struggle to get ambassadors in, in those sports. But through the world of athletics, they just embraced us. British athletics came on board, um, took us under their wing. They did a promotional video for us, learning how to pole vault with Holly Bradshaw, British record holder. Um, they invited us up to the Olympic trials to meet all the athletes. Um, yeah, the whole the whole athletics and, and um, Olympic world just took us un- under their wing. And when they were in Tokyo uh, competing and we were doing our event sort of con- concurrently with that, uh, alongside of that on the same time, they were waking up in Tokyo, ringing us or messaging us saying, oh my God, what are you guys doing today? And we were like, are you mad? You've got an Olympic final in, in three hours get your head in the game yeah and what the most ridiculous thing ever was when we finished and they'd come back from the olympics we were just in weymouth with stuart's family just sort of celebrating and we had a message from hannah mills who won a gold medal in the sailing saying oh we're having the homecoming party from tokyo all of the sailing team are going to be there come along and join us so we actually went down and had a party with them there were gold medalists everywhere and everyone wanted to talk about Spain Olympics. Everyone was yeah. more impressed with us and wanted to hear about what we'd done. And then we were stood next to Hannah Mills. We were going, oh my God, it's Spain Olympics. Oh my God, <laughs> about that. And we were like, it's Hannah Mills, a gold medalist, Georgia Hare. But it was so surreal. And it was so lovely and kind of her to even think about inviting us yeah. something like that. So they were just amazing. From the athletics to the sailing to every other yeah. sport, they were amazing. Yeah, I mean, I'm just touched by, I, th- I suppose, two things. The generosity of these people to say yes and just just the, just the brilliance that that, that 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 gave you that support and that boost but also your um determination just to go I'm picking the phone up I'm going to make the call what's the worst that can happen it can be a no exactly and that that would be our overriding advice to everybody you're going you're definitely going to get some no's um we had a couple of high profile no's but mostly it vast majority of people said of course we'll help and what that does as well it, the the social media side they have a much wider reach than even we did at, at, at the end and with all of the different sports these arms would branch out and 10,000 people would see a post that they put on here and another 20,000 there um, so the, the importance of it was huge I think to our overall we'll never know exactly what it what it brought in but our our feeling is that it, it definitely helped massively. Yeah. yeah. I think like you said earlier, it meant when we were approaching the media companies, it just, everything seemed a lot more legitimate. Yeah. When we were saying we're doing this and we have the support of 50 Olympians, they were like, Oh, okay, you are actually doing that. Yeah. That is serious. Whereas I think if we'd been approaching them sort of three, four months before we were doing anything, we were just doing a bit of training within ourselves. It would have been, okay whatever but it yeah it just gave it a bit more sort of legitimacy I think absolutely and did the charity at that point you know you, you made the second call ha, we've got 80 ambassadors yeah. <laughs> um 
did that then, was that the start point of you having a, a, a campaign relationship with them? How does it, how does it work with the, with MNDA? How, how do they, how do they support you? Yeah. So I've, I've done uh, fundraising things with them previously. Um, but yeah, in terms of that, um, everybody sort of got on board. So they have several sort of branches. They have a um, sort of a, a VIP manager. Um, obviously, we had all of these Olympians. Um, they have the, um, the the press officer, um, more local regional fundraisers who were involved. Um, so, yeah, from, from everybody, from Sally Light, the CEO downwards, everybody knew what we were doing. Um, and sort of championed us as, as much as they could, didn't they? Hi, you're listening to What Have I Done with me, Caroline Jones. And now back to the conversation. Was it, uh, were you allowed then to take it in the direction you wanted to? Or were they, were they going, oh, you know, could you do this? Could you do that? Or were they, there's, were they very open to you just running it? You know, yeah. it's your campaign. We'll go with you, whatever you want to do. Yeah, I, I think um, they recognised quite early we had a really good handle on what we were doing. Um, we had a really good understanding of the illness. Um, my brother had obviously uh, lived with it, passed, passed away with it, and Charlotte is studying medicine. And during her, her, her rotations, uh, during the build-up, uh, she had new, uh, neurology um, where you encountered the condition firsthand Mm -hmm. Uh, so we had a really both had a really good grasp of that there were some things that they wanted to make sure that we could mention if we could Um, some technical things in referring to it as the MND association not MNDA or so there was you know there were some 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 points that that needed to be done um, quite clearly there but on, on the whole I think they were quite supportive of us to to take it in the direction that that we'd seen it was our vision uh they saw it was it was working um and allowed us to run with it i think that's so important what you're saying a couple of things that one that they allow you it's your campaign you you know you've set your sort of um the strategy even though there probably wasn't a strategy i imagine it was just like what we're we doing today oh we're doing a a, t- a marathon today let's get on with it but it, but i think when i've spoken to other amazing fundraisers it is that free spirit it's that it's our idea this creative drive that's sort of pushing you through that nobody can really keep up with so they just have you know they just have to run with you and they can i imagine very quickly they saw the scalability of this amazing campaign and the reach that it was having and that you were, you know, not only were you performing these these amazing uh, achievements, these physical achievements, but you were actually campaign managing yourself. It's quite incredible to think that you, the two of you were doing all of this. Um, and, uh, yeah, and yet it wouldn't have worked any other way, would it? It had to work like that. I don't think so. And I think we complain about doing the social media and all of the admin and the emails and things, but actually it was our baby and we didn't want anyone else to do it. We didn't want people replying to the emails and saying things that we necessarily wouldn't have said or phrasing a social media post in a different way. We wanted to do it our way and that's how it worked best, I think. Um, And the charity were amazing sort of in the background when we put out press releases, they'd sort of have a read of them and add in little bits and sort of they did a bit of a press release for us, some of you at the Press Association and um but it got to the point where it was hilarious we were just the media lady vicky from the charity we'd just email her and say uh look out for us today on 
BBC Radio 1 or BBC 5 Live and BBC Breakfast and then we'll be on this morning tomorrow and in this paper today and she was like okay and then I sent her another email an hour later oh yeah and add to that list the Telegraph and she'd be like okay she, I think they were just absolutely blown away by the level of support it was getting but they were just such they were just massive cheerleaders for us I think yeah. that's the really important point they were so positive so helpful and they just loved it yeah. they were just as on board as it as we were they loved it they were excited by it which was really really good to see yeah. and I think a really important thing that you that you said it's it's a real skill for them to realize when to take a step back uh and and say right we trust you you go on and, and do what you what you do but if it it's very often, and, and certainly wouldn't happen with uh, the M&D Association, but with other things, it can feel too corporate. It can feel too organised. It can feel too contrived. And this organic growth that it had and this sort of community spirit that was around us the whole time, I think that was what made it special. I think the phrase we've always had um, that described our challenge is that people love to see ordinary people do difficult things badly. And that is exactly what we did. We gave it up everything and we know we were still terrible at most things. And people loved it. And I think people loved us for it, that we would just keep getting up, falling off of bikes and horses or, you know, running terribly, whatever we were doing. And we would just get on with the next event. And, and yeah, I think if we had been to brilliant athletic individuals it wouldn't have had the same pull for sure no i think on that point before it was really helpful to have the md association there for maybe when we weren't so sure on things so we got approached by a couple of agencies and things yeah. or the media that we didn't know sort of how they worked or what they wanted but they wanted us to sign various contracts and things and we just sent it to them and we're like look look at this what do we say and it was amazing to have that in the background just as a bit of reassurance of what is good and what's bad and to make sure we weren't signing anything we shouldn't and ruining everything for ourselves so yeah they were really helpful in that sense as well yeah i think charlotte yeah. just raised a really important point for future fundraisers is to be very very wary of approaches from agencies because they can then take editorial control over anything that you say and and yeah the way that we we did it in the end we were able to put our message across um without it being biased in any any way whatsoever so yeah i would uh, so it's a really important point. And it is a steep learning curve. <clears throat> you, you've gone from having no background in media training, never spoken to a journalist, I would imagine, in this capacity before, to suddenly having to be your brand representative, so to speak, of Spenny Olympics and get your message across. And that's a really difficult thing to, I imagine, deliver anyway. But not, not only that, you're doing it in this sort of very exhausted you you know you're emotionally shattered you've got to switch your brain on all the time so to have the charity there to sound you know just to check am I doing this right is this should I do this should we do this must have been a huge support for you because I think yeah. that's so important that you have somebody else to bounce an idea off if you're exhausted yeah definitely they were they were definitely brilliant in an advisory capacity and they're almost like a comfort blanket that you know you just know that they'll pick up any pieces that, that that go astray so it was lovely to have them there uh supporting us all the way through what did the money what difference did the money make to the charity it, it's colossal 
Um, so as we say, they're, they're not a well-funded charity by, by any stretch. So this sort of money in terms of, of, of research is, is huge, but they, they also support people that are living with the condition. Um, which again, for me is, is so important because it's so debilitating so quickly, um, that people, their needs change so fast. Um, and to be able to react quickly to that, to have the ability and finances in place to be able to, if someone loses the ability for their speech to be able to bring a speech pad in or something really quickly because they have the finance to do that to have that in our minds is it's just we feel brilliant yeah just mm. the the tangible difference and then the the money that's going to research to one day find an effective treatment or a cure if we've pushed that a few days closer in the future then yeah we feel so privileged to have to have, to have yeah. done that yeah, and it was amazing. I remember we hit £80,000 and we were out doing some events and there were some people from the association there and they were saying £80,000 is enough to pay for a whole PhD, I think they were saying. So a student could go and do a three-year PhD funded by the m Association and look at a different way of finding a cure or a treatment and it was the whole project. And we pretty much paid for two of them now. Like, it's ridiculous at the sort of difference that it can make. Mm. I think it's quite quite important, actually, to to correlate the money to what actually is it physically going to be delivering and and to take that in for a moment i i hope that you have reflected on that because it's it's when you're in the middle of doing a campaign it's difficult to even remember your name but yeah. actually now to reflect back and and even this conversation i hope that's coming back to you, to you to you know the true achievement that you have made the difference to people's lives that you've made is incredible and 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 i you know it do you feel that you can now look back on this and go, oh, wow? Yes, yeah, so there's an element of that. We, 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 I don't think either of us are particularly that way inclined. We have, a, we have a little moment where we look at something, God, that was amazing. But we automatically think, what else can we do? Um, so there are things in our minds to, for the future. Um, you know, and, and I want to be more closely involved with the MND Association. Um, I see the work that they do, but I still see the work that needs to be done. Um, so, yeah, this isn't the end for Spenny Olympics by any any stretch of the imagination. Until there's a cure, we will carry on fundraising for sure. We might be having a little short break at the moment, but having said that, we we seem to have taken on a, a, an unofficial role of. of uh, advising other fundraisers which we absolutely love they get in touch with us and say how did you get so much publicity how did you do this how did you do that can you just put something out on your social media there's something as simple as that and we 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 love it that we've now got this platform where we can help other people with theirs because I think we were very fortunate to get the publicity that lots of people deserve but never get uh, we hit upon a brilliant idea at the right time to have it running at the same time as the Olympics, um, which I have Charlotte to thank for the, the timing saying it had to be done over those 17 days. Um, it was perfect because people could watch the Olympics, see how it should be done and then watch us have a laugh at how it would look if they did it. And, and yeah, to, to now be in a position that we can, you know, help other people to, to perhaps get a little bit more publicity or, know how to go about it or even just give them the confidence to pick up the phone to a radio station and say look we've got this idea put us on 
Um, they think there's this barrier. But every single day, every TV news programme, every radio station, every newspaper, they have to find content. And people are inherently lazy. If you can give it to them, then if it's a good idea, they will take it. so so interesting and you know you you sound um Stuart as if you are totally driven to you know to, to drive forward not only on on continuing continuing to fundraise for the charity but also this support that you now you know look at this you, you've almost got given yourself its new job title that you are you have become these experts in Fun, successful fundraising and the sort of highs and lows but also those really clear simple messages of having a great idea having some confidence to pick up the phone why not you know what am I going to lose but also your timing was great it was everything it was like the perfect um, circle wasn't it of, of everything coming together at that moment and you know I think um, you've touched on there may be some more fundraising in the future. Do you, do you feel like that's it now? I'm this, For both of you, this is always going to be something you're going to be doing in your lives. Yeah, definitely. I think it's such an important cause and there's so much work to be done, like Stuart said, and they, they know where to look for a cure now and it's just literally a matter of having the funding to do it. And with the right funding, they're saying that a cure could be found within sort of five to 10 years rather than in sort of decades. And that's their really clear message that they're putting out to the government when they're applying for funding and to fundraisers as well. So I think for us, we won't stop until a cure is found. And that's the end goal. And even then we'll carry on because there's still going to be care needs. There's still going to be better treatments of things out there. And it's, yeah, I think we're both really passionate about it. And we've met so many amazing people from doing this fundraiser and they've shared their stories and it just drives you on further and further. And it, yeah, I don't see myself ever stopping sort of fundraising and raising awareness for the Motion Neuro Disease Association and the disease itself. Yeah, and it's come at a really critical time as well. So there's just been a budget where uh, the MND Association had, had asked for £50 million over five years, um, which they weren't given. And it's it sounds like a lot of money, but when we're talking in in terms of, of, of budgets and, and, and government finance, it's not. And it's it's something that affects one in 300 people now. It's not an insignificant number. You, the sadness of, of motor neuron disease is that people may not see that many people living with it because the prognosis is so short that people, most people die within two years. So... It's absolutely, absolutely vital. So I, I just think if, if, if there had been a member of, of the cabinet or the treasury that had a family member that had lived with this condition, there would unquestionably have found the money. Um, if, if you see how it affects people at a close first-hand level, there isn't a justification for not finding that money. Um, so on that side, you know, people need to keep campaigning for that, for for better funding from, from government. But it means even more so that we can, you know, we need to keep raising money on a, on a, on a fundraising level. Um, so we will definitely keep doing that. And we have a great time doing it. So let's not pretend that. <laughs> well, talking about great time, 
Tell me about some of the highlights from your 17, 17 days. You know, what, Charlotte, what was your absolute favourite challenge? Favourite outfit, if I can touch on that for a moment. <laughs> oh, favourite outfit. There were some really good outfits throughout, I think. The boxing outfits were fantastic. The karate outfits, I loved that. And obviously the synchronised swimming with the flowery caps. Uh, we had pink flowery swimming hats on for our routine and they went down very well. I liked them. Um, absolute highlight. I just want to stop you on the flowery hat thing. <laughs> was actually a favourite of mine as well. And I I'm, I, I, I was actually sort of hoping you'd be wearing them today. But never mind. <laughs> That's for our next chat. We save them for best, for, for nights out. So they were actually donated to us by two lovely ladies um, that we met called the Lido ladies, who they're, they're quite well known. They, they um, promote the benefits of open water swimming and swimming pools. And they, they're two ladies in their 60s, I think. I think. I think they're the most outrageous costumes that, that they go around uh, wearing. Um, and they, yeah, they had these made for us, which was so, so kind. And um, So Charlotte's was the, the judo outfit, the boxing, the synchronized swimming hat and your favorite, uh, and your favorite outfit, Stuart? What are we, what are we thinking here? Yeah, just, um, yeah, I'm not so much into the outfits. They, um, yeah, the synchronised woman is probably the one that gets the most comments and people remember the most. Uh, so, yeah, well, perhaps that. It was yeah, quite, that. A, quite a catching look. But talking seriously, though, about the some of the events that you took on were scary. You know, there's no... there's no Looking down from a 10-metre diving board... Is scary. How how do you you can't did you train for things like this in advance or did you just turn up on the day and go right deep big deep breath here goes Charlotte. So we trained for everything that we could, um, and obviously with the lockdown of things, all of the facilities were closed until sort of mid April, and we really struggled to get into things like swimming pools, the diving centre. The diving centre was being used um, to train the Olympians that were heading off to Tokyo and was out of bounds. Um, until they left, which was the week before we started our challenge. So uh, we didn't actually get to do any diving before. Uh, we just turned up on the day, went to the London Aquatic Centre, which is where they held the 2012 um, London Olympic diving. And yeah, we just sort of worked up from the one metre board, then onto the three metre, then onto the five, seven, ten. <laughs> it's terrifying, but it was absolutely amazing to be in that facility, yeah. knowing that's where the actual Olympics happened and those divers dived with the same boards we were on. Tom Daly trains there all the time and the people there were lovely. We had some great coaching from them in just how to do it safely and sort of what to what to do to make sure you don't go splat into the pool. And it was brilliant. It was such an amazing experience, but it was terrifying. It was so terrifying. So I think a really important thing is that we describe each other, we were our biggest cheerleaders for each other. We were the biggest support but also massively competitive. So if I if Charlotte had gone off the three meter, I was going off. But if I went off the five, she <laughs> was going off. So, you know, we just we just forced each other to go higher and higher. I love the fact that you're adding in another layer of uh, of, of stress, competition, <laughs> whatever. You know, you 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 talk about um, gold and silver places. You actually did award yourselves golds and silvers. So, who's the leaderboard? Where, where are we on this? Well, this may sound contrived, but we ended neck and neck. Um, 
So it, it genuinely just happened that way. We sort of, Charlotte was in the lead with a few days to go and we sort of lost count with everything that was, was going on. We toted it up on the last day and, and we were absolutely neck and neck. Um, but the medals themselves were possibly the best and the worst thing that could have ever happened. So we had no intention of doing doing it. But early on, um, there's, a, there's a chap, Martin, from uh, Cardiff uh, University, uh, who worked on their creative department, who got in touch and said, I've seen your challenge. I think it's brilliant. Would you like gold and silver medals? And we thought he meant one that we could do. He made medals for every single event that were carved with the different. So the diving would have a diver on, the foot would have footballers on, um, which was amazing. But then brought in this competitive streak that we already had, but uh, then have that there were clear, defined gold and silver medalists. It, yeah, it probably wasn't the best thing, was it? It wasn't, because <laughs> as amazing as it was, it meant that if you were absolutely exhausted and you just wanted to take it easy and have a nice little jog around the track, we had to race. We couldn't just let one of us just go off with it. It just, it added everything. It just added so much more sort of physicality and just the effort that we put into every challenge just went up a hundredfold because there was a wooden medal at the end of it. It was ridiculous. Good grief. I could, I could just imagine, you know, and, and uh, not as if you could have some time apart from one another. You were then going home. Charlotte, oh, yeah. you were going back to your sofa to do your social media. <laughs> Stuart, you were probably eating porridge or doing something. Yeah. How, how were you, how, on that, you know, food is important to me. How did you, you know, how were you then coming home and just sort of fueling yourself and with your medals around your neck? How were you every day replenishing and keeping going? Yes, we, we had this brilliant plan put in place um, from a company called Dave Nutrition, who uh, one of the best known uh, sports nutrition companies in Ireland. They do the Ireland rugby team. Um, that's the Leinster rugby team. Um, had this brilliant plan of what we needed to eat, when we needed to eat it. And then we got into the event and it just all went to pot. We just didn't have the time or the, or even the energy to do it. So we, we tried, we ate a lot, um, but certainly not everything that we were supposed to have ate, eaten. No. And I think we had, we relied massively on supplements for a lot of the sort of fueling during the challenges, things like the marathon and the 240k mm. cycle. It was just, we had energy drinks and we had electrolyte drinks and we just sort of went through them and, um we were really lucky that my lovely father who I can see across the kitchen did cook a lot for us when we sort of got home um cooking pasta and things for us and just I've never eaten so many meal deals in my life we'll just go to Tesco and buy meal deals and lived off them um and I don't really know how we did it because we did nothing by the textbook we didn't eat what we're supposed to eat we didn't stretch every night when we got home we didn't warm up properly for every event and somehow we managed to come through uninjured and get to the end of it and finish it and I still have no idea how we managed that yes so we had a um a, a physio booked uh, strategic points through the challenge so we thought at least we could get our bodies repaired and every single time we had the physio booked we'd get a phone call and we say can you appear on BBC TV or can you do this interview and we thought which gets the most benefit uh for the fundraising so our bodies just 
yeah, they they <laughs> hit, but it was worth it for sure. Oh my goodness me! I'm just I'm just trying to process actually what your bodies were going through. I mean, it it, it yeah. And now, are you? What are you doing? Which sports have you taken up, Charlotte? Have you taken anything up and, and kept going on anything new? Uh, yeah. So I when I went back to uni, I started rowing and I started doing some hammer throwing. Uh, which both came from Australian Olympics. And then I also carried on doing some touch rugby that I've been doing before anyway. So Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I'm, I'm still carrying some injuries, unfortunately, from it. Uh, my Achilles are both not good. Um, but I have signed up to do the London Marathon next next October. Um, and I've been to uh, the local athletics club. Um, and, yeah, I think there are some other things. When, when my body's a, a, a little bit brighter, mm-hmm. I think I quite enjoyed hockey. There are a few other um sports i adored the boxing um the the training and and uh, and the spirit down there was just incredible so yeah. yeah possibly if i can get my my body back together then uh maybe get down into a, a bit more boxing i think there's things that all sort of carry on socially as well oh, rather yeah. than it being like actual sports things yeah. like climbing and shooting you really yeah. really enjoyed and would just sort of go down on the weekends and yeah. have another go at things like that in a bit of a less pressured environment I think we're going to be seeing a lot of more of you in lycra, in sporting <laughs> outfits, or, or maybe something completely different. It would not surprise me if you come back with something completely different. But I know that whatever you do, you sound like you're going to put 100% commitment into it and drive and passion. And I have absolutely loved speaking to you both this morning. It's been a joy to hear your enthusiasm your passion for it and and what it has meant to the Motor Neuron Disease Association, who I know that must be so grateful for your time. So thank you so much today. I'm going to put all the links, all your Instagram page, your Facebook page, your website on my um, podcast page so people can follow you there and find you. And I'm definitely going to be following you and keeping my eye on you both. But thank you so much for coming on What Have I Done? And I hope that people listening have really taken inspiration from your story. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure, hasn't it? It's been really good fun. And watch this space. What Have I Done is a Just Voices production and is sponsored by Just Giving. Edited and mixed by Russ Keffert at Audio Egg and presented by me, Caroline Jones. <laughs>